Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are doing chapter 32, Flesh, Blood, and Bone, and we do have a small announcement to make. Not really that small. Woo! Woo! Anna and I are traveling to Orlando in June. Where are we going to go, Dan? Uh, We might be going to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Ah! Uh, We are very excited about this. It's going to be a really cool opportunity for us. Uh, if you don't follow us on Instagram, now would be a good time to start. Uh, we're thinking about going in early June, so we're getting this like a little month ahead uh, shout out, but we'll keep updating you as our plans get a little bit more solidified. As we get more and more excited. As we get more and more excited, uh, I'm kind of pumped for it. So uh, we just wanted to throw that out there, let you guys know about it, because we might have you know some fun things planned. But to get to the chapter of Flesh, Blood, and Bone, that you requested this. I did. This chapter is scary to me (laughs) (laughs) you requested it because it's scary to you yeah it's like so vivid in my memory from like like we talk a lot on the podcast about you know wishing we remembered whether or not we remember our very first Mm -hmm. read through of something i cannot tell you how vividly i remember my first read through of this the ending to this book but this chapter specifically because it gave me the first nightmare i ever had where i like woke up like with chills and shaking and sweating. And even though I was entirely too old to do so, I went and found my dad because I was scared. <laughs> All this chapter. Interesting. Okay, this is a pretty brief chapter. It's only like eight pages. Yeah, it was very short. Which I think might be the shortest chapter we've had. We've had some short ones. We have, but no, this is probably, which I actually kind of like that she did it that way because I feel like she made it so short to just make it literally, it is really just literally the regeneration. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I usually have gotten in this habit of giving a rundown of the chapter, but essentially you have Cedric and Harry arrive at the location at this uh, creepy graveyard setting, which we might have seen earlier, think chapter one, <laughs> and you get uh, Wormtail, you get some some Voldy, and that, that's really the chapter. So yes. where would you like to start, since this is the chapter that you have requested? Well... I'm just going to go right before it then. I want to start with you, Trees. I chalked this up for <laughs> things I wasn't expecting. You're welcome. No, okay. It always, like, and it continues on into the future. But basically, I just always thought it was a random detail for her to include when Harry and Cedric arrive. They're describing, Harry's describing his surroundings and the house and the tombstone and the yada, yada, yada. There's also a large yew tree to their right. And it's kind of like, okay, does the 14-year-old Harry really recognize a yew tree specifically? So He does make some very odd connections <laughs> exactly. and descriptions. So, like, no, that is JK wanting to include some sort of symbolism. So I looked into the symbolism of yew trees. Oh, I love it. And basically, they have two. They're symbols of immortality. Hey, Voldy. And they're also omens of doom. Hey, Voldy. Through much of history, <laughs> you branches are often carried at funerals, which I more thought of as R.I.P. Cedric. But, yeah. 
Also, and that rolls into the first thing that we get up in this chapter. Also, Voldemort's wand is made of you. That's what I was going to add. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Ebby, there's a lot a lot to there, his, his wand being made of you. Okay. So, Anne and I have had some back and forth <laughs> during this book uh, about Cedric. And uh, we have had a recent off-air conversation yeah. about this <laughs> very scene, which we can actually share on the air now once we get into it. But uh, Cedric and Harry arrive in the graveyard, and uh, I, I like how they're like, well, this is weird. Is this part of the task? Is yeah. this not part of the task? Did you know about this? I didn't know about this. Nobody told me this one. Uh, so, and then Cedric's like, we should probably pull out our wands. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Glad we're on the same page. <laughs> and, and then really quick, there's this man stumbling through the gravestones, Hooded and cloaked. You can't see. He seems to be maybe carrying a baby. I thought it was interesting when he got closer, Harry started to lower his wand. I feel like the sense of security lowers. Which I don't get. Like, if this weird hooded figure was stumbling towards me, I think I would be raising my wand, not lowering Fair it. Fair enough. I think it was maybe that they both thought it was he was literally carrying a baby that threw them. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, you get both of them kind of losing their sense of on guardness. Yeah. That's a thing, <laughs> and <laughs> and that kind of sets up what happens next because they say he only gets to within a couple of a couple of feet, couple of meters mm-hmm. of of them, and then Harry gets disabled by the scar hurting so hot so Which much. I think- kind of weird but i can talk about that continue with your rundown so harry gets disabled yeah and then that probably distracts cedric too of like what's going on with you and then boom person are you okay and then boom 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 all of a sudden you know the the avada kedavra and the light like out of nowhere cedric i don't think was caught completely off guard here i don't think he was expecting the killing curse right out the gate well even if he was there wasn't much Much he could do about it yeah yeah, he uh, he was kind of... This was like the worst case scenario for Cedric. Mm-hmm. Which sounds redundant and dumb to say, but it's like... Honestly, I don't think Cedric had a chance of making it out of that graveyard. Even if he had been a little more prepared for an attack, you know, with the things that come after this chapter ends and everything, I don't think Cedric makes it out. I will say, Wormtail is compiling quite the body count. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, well, he's a Death Eater. He, that he is, uh, which we find out a little bit more information on uh, as this thing goes. But uh, the meat of this chapter, really all of the chapter, takes place with Wormtail essentially preparing this potion, which I think sets the tone for what you're talking about is your fear level with this yeah, chapter. it's so creepy. Yeah, creepy is a good word. I'm just going to say the quotes because I have them here and they're cool. Uh, so Wormtail, as he's preparing the potion, goes, Bone of the father, unknowingly given, you will renew your son. Flesh of the servant, willingly given, you will revive your master. Blood of the enemy, forcibly taken, you will resurrect your foe. That's a cool uh, scene setting. Well, and the size of the cauldron that's needed for this, yeah. that, and... Being in a graveyard as all of this is, you know, spoken out loud. Harry's the already been pinned to the... so old, they're dust. Yeah, Harry tied to the tombstone. It's, yeah. Harry's a already been tied. slithering around. Yeah, there, and Harry, you know, you get the worm tail going through all of this, but 
you also have Harry piecing together what's actually going on. Like, after the shock of, oh my goodness, did Cedric just die? Yeah. And he's still trying to process that. And he can't even process that. And then he gets to this next thing of, like, what is that thing in the cloak? At this point, he doesn't even know it's Wormtail. Right. He's like, what is the thing in the cloak? I don't think it's a baby anymore. Oh my gosh, I think I know what that thing is. And then you just get this thought process through it of, like... When Wormtail drops the thing <laughs> into the potion. I call it a creepy baby. When Wormtail drops the creepy baby into <laughs> the potion, you get this thoughts from Harry of like, please drown. Yeah. Let it drown. Which is a dark Very thought. dark, yeah. The whole scene being set here is ominous. Yeah. And just, you know, it's by no means the creepiest part of it all, but when... Wormtail is reciting his part about the servant, you know, willingly giving to his master. And, you know, you read it very nice and smoothly, but in the, like, the way it's written, he's clearly stuttering and over it. And you just imagine him shaking and the fact that he just has to cut off his own hand. I have a question about that. Does he, does he have to cut off the whole hand? So this was another deep dive I tried to do. I tried to look up more about this potion because I feel like usually in the Harry Potter books, you get a lot of detail about magic as big as this. You Mm -hmm. know, when a moment as big as this is given to us, we are given a lot of information about the process. Not so much with this. Like the internet seems to be calling it the regeneration potion. And really the only thing there is to be read anywhere about it is just a breakdown of like what you just did of what happens in the chapter Mm -hmm. everybody seems to be saying it must like the flesh needed must be at least as big as the hand like everybody seems to just be assuming it needs to be that large of a piece of their flesh but is that just because that's what he does i mean you could just cut off another finger. He's already cut but off maybe one. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe that's not enough. The The symbology that I'm thinking of is he does cut off his, I believe it's his right hand, right? Yes. So he With the finger missing that he had already cut off. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess that makes sense for him because he's like, well, I already have a finger missing from this hand, whatever. But also that symbology of like literally the right hand of the master. Mm, yeah. Which that's I don't true. know that either of us would really consider Wormtail... I don't think Voldy himself would consider Wormtail the right hand of Voldy. But the symbology is there. If it's like a servant, you're literally giving your right hand for your master, which is like a symbology thing. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it depends. Maybe you need more or less flesh depending on how much of a person you are regenerating. Like what if maybe you're just like regrowing a hand? Well. Maybe then you only need a finger. Here's the so I come from a medical background here, and I can get into this a little bit more in the next chapter, but he just cut off his hand. Oh, yeah. No. How is he not, like, in serious medical danger, like, right now? <laughs> like, what? I don't know. Well, we can get into that later, I guess. But that was my question, because I'm me. Uh, but anyway, the the point of it is Lord Volby has risen again. Yeah. And I love the description, because uh, I'm a description guy, and we've had so many descriptions throughout the first four books that I love, because I've forgotten exactly how she paints the picture of these characters and these scenes and these settings. But the picture that she paints of Voldy here is a tall, skeletally thin, whiter than a skull, 
wide, vivid scarlet eyes, and a nose flat like a snake's with slits for nostrils. That's a handsome dude. That's, oh, yeah. That's a far-flung oh, yeah. depiction of the Tom Riddle from the diary. But what I thought was interesting, it's not as far-flung from the creepy baby as you would first assume. Because if you go back to when Harry gets his first glance at the creepy baby, like, uncovered, mm -hmm. the face is described as flat and snake-like with gleaming red eyes. So... Obviously, she gives it a little more vivid picture now that he is fully regenerated. But, like, somehow it seems like he was able to keep his face. And this potion really just gave him, like, more of a fully functioning creepy body. Okay, I'm going to ask you this question here. And I know you, of all people, are the person to ask about Ooh, this. okay. And, you know, we're in the non-spoilers, so we'll keep it to the first four books here. Uh, well, that's hard to do, I guess. You can ask me again in the spoiler section. I'll ask you again in the spoiler section. But this chapter, uh, Miss Person Who Does the Sporkle Quiz of all of the chapters <laughs> in the series, <laughs> this chapter, even though it's eight pages long, yeah. would you say it's the most important chapter? In the first four books? Yeah. Single um, most important chapter. I'm putting you on the spot. I did not prefer for this at all. Like, I would say say it's the most important magic in a chapter that we get to experience that like we're there with Harry seeing this magical process go down but I wouldn't say it's the most important chapter like for us as readers probably the most important chapter is the boy who lived because, oh right out the gate yeah. okay mm, okay but if we take that out then Probably, yeah. <laughs> Go back and listen to our The Boy Who Lived chapter, episode one. I feel like our podcast has come a long way since our first episode. I would episode. like to think so. Uh, for those that have stuck it out with us through now. Thanks. It's an interesting question, though. It is an interesting and, What and do you can, think? I think it is. I think it is the single most important chapter through the first four books, uh, just because... This is that singular moment. Yeah. Um, it's basically what we've been trying to prevent happening yes. since the series began. And, we, and I actually kind of want to talk a little bit more about it in spoilers because Agreed. we can really dig into why this chapter why might it's be so the most. Important. Yeah. So let's do that. Uh, so let's head to the spoiler section. We'll talk more about this chapter's importance. We also wanted to talk a little bit, uh, we've been a little delayed because we record these episodes a little bit in advance, but some news has dropped. <laughs> and uh, HBO has announced that they're doing a Harry Potter series. And Anne and I, shockingly, have thoughts. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well in the spoilers. So stick around for that conversation. And we'll be right back after you get the moment of this chapter, the <laughs> kill the spare moment. We will be right back. Kill the spare! All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of Flesh, Blood, and Bone, Chapter 32. And where we left off was discussing this chapter's importance, you know, non-spoiler of the first four books. But I think now we can expand it to how important is this chapter in the whole entire series? Which, if anything, makes its importance go up. I agree. I agree. So my thought is... <laughs> Which, again, is mind-boggling, considering how short this chapter actually is. But it's all based on one singular moment of Voldy returning, which the whole series 
is pinned on. Uh, and literally, because this is about almost midway through the series yeah. completely. Yeah. And literally the whole series shifts mm -hmm. and turns around on this chapter. What, what do you think? What do you think? Um, well, so you came at it a little differently in why it's important than I was thinking of. I was thinking of quite literally its importance in the fact that he uses Harry's blood to return and how going down the line that's so important because quite honestly, if he doesn't use Harry's blood, is Harry walking out of king's cross like you know what i mean like does he have there's that whole link there's that whole later in this book i'll never forget it there's a line when harry tells him that voldemort uses his blood for the potion that i believe the line is that there's a twinkle of triumph in dumbledore's eye and just i think the level of importance like voldemort thinks it's so important that he used harry's blood so that now he can touch it and Lily's protection is gone and whatever. Her protection's not actually gone, but. Um... I have questions on that, <laughs> but we can get there. <laughs> but yeah, I, so that's where, but where you're coming at it from is interesting because we did have that off-air discussion about how after this book, the tone of the rest of the series just matures so vastly. Yeah, it, it definitely jumps a couple of notches. Uh, really quick, before we get too far away from that, Lily's magic comment uh, I wanted to ask you a question based on these two chapters. You're going to be on for the next chapter. <laughs> Spoiler alert for you guys. Um, but he goes into this whole uh, monologue about the magic that beat him. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's my, here's my question. If he's taking the blood of Harry and he can touch him now. <sighs> got it. Wouldn't that eliminate the magic around the Dursley house or wouldn't that take from it I mean you would think so right yeah no I know because he took essentially he took that magic into him so you would think then that he I think where maybe there's the workaround is that it's more to do with the, the magic around the Dursleys is more to do with Petunia and her relation to Lily than with Lily's specific sacrifice, I think. If, like, I fully understand. It's the fact that Petunia is of Lily's blood. And yes, Harry is obviously of Lily's blood and Voldemort just took that blood into him. But I think because Petunia... I don't know. So, yeah, I think... It's very easy to start poking holes in this. Oh, yeah. No, obviously. I couldn't even fully defend against <laughs> the point. But I think if J.K. Rowling were presented with that question, I think Petunia is the way she would attempt to defend herself. But you're probably right. And that's something, I guess, to her credit. Unless uh, there's other magical protection around the Dursley house that we don't know about. I mean, I'm sure but... there is. Uh, I'm sure Dumbledore was doing some some fun stuff when he dropped off Harry. I'm just like, I'm going to do this and <laughs> this. and I'm sure. But uh, I never thought of this before until I read these two chapters. And 
I just thought, like, wait a second. If he can do this, if if he negates Lily's magic here, why can't he negate Lily's magic other places? I don't know. It's just confusing me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying really hard to come up with something to poke you with, but... Nothing is really coming to mind. I, it's just a fair question that I thought of. And if any of you have any thoughts on it, please <laughs> let us know on Twitter. Let us know on Instagram. Because it's just kind of a loophole that I thought of. And I'm just like, um, does that make sense? I don't know. Anyway, we can talk more about it in the next I mean, chapter. really, though, you could poke holes about it even before. Because, like, what is it about just the Dursley home that they can't breach it? Like... I mean, if it's about Lily's blood sacrifice, then why was Voldemort able to go anywhere near Harry in Hogwarts? Because, like... Also, what's stopping a Death Eater from still entering the Dursley home? Unless it's because it's in his name that they're doing it? Right. I, I don't know. So, yeah. The whole Dursley protection never really made very much sense to me. I feel like it just sounded real pretty to be like, as long as you return to the home of your mother... You'll be protected. Like uh... It makes sense until you get this. <laughs> like, this kind of blows it all to pieces. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> we have issues. Um, so, uh, you know, part of what so many people get on Order of the Phoenix about and emo Harry oh, comes so from nice. this specific chapter. I know. And, and, you know, whether you like him or not, uh, put yourself in Harry's shoes. You see someone who, other than the fact that he's dating your crush, right. they liked pretty, they yeah. liked each other. Mm-hmm. I, Harry thought Cedric was generally a good dude because he is was, a good dude. Yeah. So they got along really well. They were Quidditch buddies, like the whole thing. They they got along really really well. So this you see someone that you've gone to school with. You get along with really well, who's helped you out, and you've helped him survive this tournament, and he dies. And this is the first real instance of Harry seeing and remembering someone die in front of him. Like, obviously, you brought up Emo Harry. The reason he is Emo Harry, even though he still annoys the poop out of me, is because... Hello, he just experienced a great trauma. He watched, even if he didn't have respect for Cedric, and even if Cedric was a good guy, one of his peers, like you said, literally died in front of him. That's going to leave a mark. He opens his eyes, and even if you didn't Cedric's have any of those lifeless body is right there. Yeah. Like, what 14-year-old is equipped to handle something like that? Not that... The threat of Voldemort returning wasn't real in the first three books, but this, you know, it's real now. Like, going from this point forward, it's life or death. You're, you're, this is his moment of, even though he's only 14 here, this is his moment of, you're not a kid anymore. Like, now you are in this. Right. Very directly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's only going to get worse, him being in this obviously like it's gonna get worse in the next book when he finds out about the prophecy and then Dumbledore dying like it's just consistently worse from here on out for Harry it's an interesting chapter for for being all of eight pages and the and the Cedric stuff is really I think Cedric does get mentioned in the next chapter too or no not the next chapter the next next chapter (laughs) but um 
Cedric's a very small part of this chapter, and then... Honestly, I think Cedric's importance grows in the next book and, like, the, like his death. I feel like... I'm not saying bad things about Cedric. Or no, 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 I get what I you're just, saying. just, like, his death, I feel like, is the most important part of his character for the series as a no, whole. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, you can get into the... Uh... Cursed child of it all, if you want to go down into the multiverse of Harry Potter. That's not. I'm not ready for Cursed Child talk tonight. Fair, fair enough. Um, but you can get into the multiverse of what if Cedric doesn't die here. Yeah. And, you know... In, in... You could get into the multiverse of what if Voldemort didn't use Harry's blood here. Yeah, there's a lot of what ifs that can spring from just this chapter alone, which is interesting. That all being said, we do have one more thing. I guess I could bring up Cursed Child with this, too, actually. We do have one more thing to discuss uh, before we wrap up this episode, and that's the announcement of an HBO series that will be Harry Potter, years one through seven, and they will cover each season is one book. So in theory, they've described it as they will follow the book somewhat religiously. I have some pros and some negative thoughts on this. Um, and I know on Harry Potter Twitter, it's a volatile topic. I'm sure. Uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. It's not just the JK reason, which is a big one. And I think it's safe to say that we would prefer her not to be involved with it. Yes, that's my biggest issue. Yeah, but... I think that's safe to say that we both are against that. Uh, she's... I think it was announced today as of our recording that she's going to be an executive producer credit on it. And she's come out and said that her role is, quote, preserving the spirit of the books in this series, end quote, something like that. I'm she's paraphrasing. She's the last person I want preserving the spirit of Harry Potter. Correct. She and lost that right. And I would like to put forth our application. <laughs> yes, please. I'd be very good at it. Here at Hogwarts a Podcast, we would like to formally <laughs> present our application as consultants for the HBO Max series. We'd be really good, we promise. A lot of the other backlash is because they would have all new casting. Right. And, oh, and there's a lot of love for the movies. There is, and there's that's complicated. Because, obviously, some of the greatest cast members have passed. So there's yeah. no chance of them returning for this. Right. Um, I'm not sure Maggie Smith would want to no. at this point. It's, that's a big commitment for Maggie Smith. Correct. And then, you know, everybody talks about the original trio. I was talking to a friend recently who said, is the trio involved? And I said, no. And then they were like, no, I'm out. And I get that. But Emma and, and Daniel have been adamantly uh, refusing to do anything. Which I have involving jk which yep. is why hbo has moved from a cursed child movie yep. to this the cursed child movie was fully in, in the process of getting to in production except daniel radcliffe and emma watson were like we're not doing it which like i have so much respect big, for them big for that big because respect. i don't think there would have been a way legally to keep jk rolling probably out of a cursed child because she was you want to know the rumor that I've heard? And this is purely a rumor, but the rumor that I heard was that Warner Brothers tried. They tried really? They tried to buy her out. 
and she just refused. her stipulations and her requirements for that were astronomical and mm-hmm. they just couldn't do it and we've heard that was a real rumor through the you know the uh, entertainment business sites and twitters and stuff like that that they tried warner brothers really did try I mean, that makes me have more respect than I previously had for Warner Brothers There as well, were but... the rumors that Disney also pitched an offer to JK to buy her out. Hmm. Um, now, that would get a little questionable because Universal has the rights to the theme park, yeah. which that would have to be separate. Which Disney is already kind of in that mess with Universal with Marvel anyway. Correct. So. Uh, but Disney does have the money to potentially do it. Mm. They bought George Lucas out. You know, yeah. they uh, so it's... Everybody has their price. I just heard somewhere they're evaluated at like hundred some odd billion dollars. Which is stunningly low considering all of their properties. Yeah. That IP was compared to Apple because who was evaluated at like two trillion. <laughs> right. <laughs> so So I mean, I'm sure Apple and I'm sure Amazon can probably offer JK a very large sum. Uh, to move away from the series for good. I There's been reports that... Would they have to do that to even do, like, completely new content? Like, say we get, you know, a Marauder or something, or a... A prequel of some sort. Yeah. after Kershaw, you mm-hmm. know, like... Do they have to buy her out because it's Harry Potter? Like, the Wizarding World? She has... As far as I'm aware, she has very... Her holdings on the franchise and the IP mm-hmm. are, are pretty strict. Yeah. That she has some sort of involvement in it going forward, which is why they're, everybody's trying Any to buy wizarding, it out. So would they have to buy Wizarding World as a whole? What, Disney? Or... Yeah, whoever wants to buy her out. Do they basically have to buy Wizarding World? Because she holds stakes in Wizarding World, I right? think what she holds a lot of stakes in a lot of things. I would say that she, they're trying to buy her out from the IP. They're trying to literally buy the IP from her. Um, what does that like all cover? Just anything in the she world. She wouldn't. Of... She would get a lump sum payment instead of royalty checks. No, no, no. I get that, but like I'm saying, like, are you allowed to create something in the world of Harry Potter mm-hmm. without buying her IP? Like, can I go out and make some movie that not without mentions, paying her in some form or fashion? Like anything that has ever mentioned anything in the Harry Potter books, like even like. A book about Bertha Jorgens. <laughs> Anna's slowly revealing her future plans. Yeah, I think, I mean, she would get a cut of it. Okay. Um, That's what I thought too. I, just... I assume she withholds the right to have any input And if on you it. buy that IP from her, then you can just... Cut her out of the creative process, yeah. I'm assuming that's she what they're trying to do. She has zero say and zero money <clears throat> for any of it going forward. Yeah, I, I heard, because she had that famous tweet that was like, uh, are you concerned about people mm. leaving your IP? And she was like, the royalty checks every week don't yeah. really cause much concern. And her royalty checks are reported to be somewhere in the range of like 50 to 100 million a year in just royalty checks. So <laughs> that's a crazy amount of money. Yeah, it is. So... It's a complicated subject, and I enjoy that there's been at least discussions being had about trying to buy her out of her too. franchise. It's it not going to happen. It also make me feel less guilty about visiting Wizarding World of Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, yeah, stay tuned for announcements related to us visiting the Wizarding World. But um, as in regards to the actual series itself, I'm excited for it. I, I, 
I can't divorce myself from the love of Harry Potter in general, and I'm here for it. And I'm kind of excited, honestly, for a new cast. I want to see the creative side it's of it. It's too soon. I mean, I like, would you, you be okay with a reboot of the Lord of the Rings movies? N- no, I agree with you. It is too soon. It's just, like... I agree with that. We are the Harry Potter generation. Our love for the movies... The movies are not perfect. I complain about the movies on this podcast alone, like, all the time. <laughs> right. But it still just feels like... Like, I'm probably going to watch the show. And am I excited for the potential for them to include Peeves and for them to include a lot of the things that More were Dobby left out? And, yeah. Of course I am. And Mandy Brocklehurst. I kind of feel, obviously. (laughs) Um, I just feel kind of like, I'm going to feel like I'm cheating on my childhood. I had, when the movies were still going, because Hollywood is Hollywood and money is money. I knew they were going to reboot the franchise in some form or fashion. But I hoped it was like later in my life or even after I was dead. Uh, yeah, I had originally said when the movies were out, like, oh, I'll give it another 30 years and they'll do a reboot. And then as it, like, waned on and, you know, money speaks. And yeah. I was like, oh, maybe 30 years is too far down the road. They're going to do it earlier than that. I didn't expect less than 10 years. Like, roughly, it's going to be about 10 years, give or take, from Deathly Hallows, right? No, we're already past 10 years. All right, 12 years. It's like, what, 2011 or something like that? It came out in 2011. Yeah, so 12 years. That's still not a lot of time. No, I know. Uh, A third of what I had estimated, which is crazy to me. So I'll I'll give you that. It's too soon. The idea of the original trio, because I think a lot of people are going to be upset about the original trio. Think of all the adventures they probably could have made a movie about if they could have gotten Dan and Emma back. Because I think Rupert is so laid back. He would just, you know, he just calls JK his crazy auntie and is living his best life. But if they could have gotten Dan and Emma back, he would have come. Tom Felton, you know, would have come. Give me some stories about Harry and Ron becoming oars. Give me some stories about Ron running the joke shop with George. George living his post-Fred being dead life. Hermione's campaign for Ministry of Magic. Like, I want to leave you with this thought, this potential thought. Just for, you know, uh, some, some giggles here at the end of this episode. <laughs> Wouldn't it be some stuff? You're talking seven seasons, and it's going to take time to produce this. Mm-hmm. You're going to take, it's going to, it's not going to be seven, like, television seasons. It's going to be years yeah. that this whole thing plays out through. Like, this might be a decade of mm-hmm. stuff, depending on how they want to actually, if, I'm assuming they're going to do it right. Like, they're going to make sets. They're going to, like, the whole thing. It's going to be some time. If they do, because it's HBO, if they do what they did to us with Game of Thrones, where it's, like, so good, so good, so good, sucks at the end. Well, I don't think they can, because at least all of the books are written. (laughs) So so there is that. Yes, that's true. But, But to your point, if this goes on for so long... Who knows what happens in these intervening years? Mm, sure. What if, and I'm just throwing this out there, I'm just tossing it into the wind. That epilogue scene? What if we Aww. do get a real Daniel Radcliffe, <laughs> Emma Watson, Rupert so Grint cute. as their actual real adult selves in their 40s or whatever? That would be awesome. In the epilogue scene. That would be cool. That'd be a cool I'd spin, like wouldn't that. it? Yeah, that'd be cool. That would be, I am telling you right now, HBO, hire us. Yeah. Number two, I guarantee you, if they did that, that episode would that would be Game of Thrones esque level watch entertainment. Oh well, it's already gonna be that, but 
That would be, oh my god. That single episode would get everything. That single scene. I would cry my eyes out. Oh my god. Yeah. So, that's the thought I want to leave you guys on. For... Oh no, wait for it, wait for it. If you do that, by, you know, a decade out, say it takes like a decade to make all these movies. Yep. Rupert Grant has a baby. Janet Radcliffe has a baby. Oh, they're actual the kids. They're actual kids. God, that would be so cool. That that would be that's a whole nother level to it. That would be that would be some stuff right there. Well, we're leaving you on that. So let that thought soak mm. in on you. Uh, let us know what you think about everything uh, regarding the HBO series, the chapter that we've just discussed, Flesh, Blood, and Bone, and let us know on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, it's is a really cool chapter. We think it's a really pivotal one. The next chapter is a bigger one in terms of stuff happening. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Um, so join us for that one, and we get to meet some Death Eaters. So, exciting. And Anna loves when I talk Death Eaters. So <laughs> we'll have some fun with that. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.